Welcome to the Stillhouse podcast, the show where we celebrate all things dark spirits. Whiskey, rum and cognac are sometimes misunderstood as drinks that can only be enjoyed by certain people on certain occasions, but this couldn't be further from the truth. So in this podcast, I'm delighted to meet some of the greatest minds in the world of spirits and cocktails to celebrate the magic of whiskey, rum and cognac. It doesn't matter if you're a complete beginner or a connoisseur. If you're interested in dark spirits, this show is for you. This is The Stillhouse Podcast, made in partnership with Edrington UK and me, Becky Paskin. Last week on the show, I was joined by co-founder of Ideal Drinks, Marcus Salzanis, and ace and freak founder, Thomas Sodden, to discuss natural refreshment. We talked about whether dark spirits can be truly refreshing and why there seems to be a preconception that they should only ever be drunk neat. We also explored the importance of local and natural ingredients in your drink and shared some really interesting recommendations for lighter, natural mixes beyond the standard cola or ginger ale. We also shared our personal recommendations for a dark spirits drink that gives you that real sense of natural refreshment. So make sure you go back and listen if you haven't already. If I asked you to create an image in your mind of the ideal setting for a dark spirit, what do you see? You might imagine a chilly winter's evening, warming by a fireplace with a tumbler of neat whiskey, rum or cognac. And that might be because there's often an assumption that dark spirits are a winter drink and something that's best enjoyed on its own without a mixer. But dark spirits can be wonderful served in the summer months and amongst friends at a party, at a picnic or just down the pub. This is what we're going to be covering today, the amazing dark spirit serves that suit informal, friendly gatherings when the sun is shining. I have two amazing guests in the studio with me today, the wonderful Kirsten Jaron, brand ambassador for luxury mixer company, The London Essence, and Nate Brown, owner of Soda and Friends, a cocktail bar in London. Let's get to know our wonderful guests a bit better. I'm Kirsten Jaron. I am the UK ambassador for London Essence, looking after a luxury mixer range and looking after Prestige. I'm Nate Brown. I own a growing group of bars, including a highball bar, Soda and Friends, out in East London. And what a lovely bar it is. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's it's a pretty little space. It's highball led, so we've got a good whiskey collection, but we try and keep things quite curated. You know, it's one of these bars that's a little bit more minimal, it's a little bit less busy, and it's set up to be a neighbourhood bar in a residential area. So it's quite friendly and accessible and special without being special occasion, is how I describe it. This whole episode is about uh, sharing our love of dark spirits with other people and enjoying it in social settings and at different times of the year as well because I think maybe dark spirits sometimes whenever we think of having a a whiskey or a cognac even it's always at a certain time of year in a certain situation I mean that's what I think do you agree with that do you think maybe people associate dark spirits with a certain time and place I would say yes because when we think about dark spirits or when we think about colder months we want something warm and warming dark spirits tend to have that more kind of bold warming characteristics and that's why it ties in with colder months and then we think about warm drinks as well when it comes to winter hot toddies you usually associate with winter and usually that's with a dark spirit base this is quite an interesting topic for me because all right you can look at dark spirits and they're dark because of the aging and the aging brings flavor profiles that you'd naturally associate with darker sweeter warmer notes everything you know from chocolate and walnut and sherry and all this sort of things and but when you say warming you're absolutely correct but you can't tell me that some vodka's not warming at the same time white spirits 
and dark spirits, I'd say on a texture level, are still warming. But there is a not incorrect, but I would say misleading stereotype about having darker spirits in darker months. Yes. I agree. I think there's there's this there's a stereotype around dark spirits that you have to enjoy them neat in a tumbler, uh, sat in a leather armchair next to a fireplace and typically it's going to be snowing and dark outside and you're all cozy and comfortable and warm, but when you actually look outside of the UK because it's a very UK romantic British notion of drinking dark spirits but you look outside the UK and the way that for instance whiskey is drunk in Kentucky the amount of mint juleps they sell in Kentucky around the Derby in the height of summer is incredible and then you look at how rum is drunk in the Caribbean as well and that's a very hot sunny place and is is drunk all year round. Yeah, I think the stereotypes being only a snapshot of a story because it becomes a bit self-fulfilling, a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think of whiskey as something you drink on its own or on your own, then it becomes that sort of occasion and that moment and it becomes a product that's not necessarily shared, especially when you are talking about whiskey and cognac. But there's so much more to dark spirits. There's so much more to whiskey and cognac. It's something I'd love to see us break free from. Do you think that there's a that perception of dark spirits, Kirsten? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Nate. There is a big stereotype about dark spirits, having it in a tumbler, especially whiskey in an armchair with a cigar in your slippers. It's definitely to be breaking the stereotype because there's so many dark spirits cocktails out there that are great to drink in summer. Mm. There's a time and a place for that. And don't get me wrong, I love enjoying a glass of whiskey wrapped up in a blanket, cat on my lap just on my own chilling out and just just having some me time alone but at the same time I also enjoy dark spirits in a social setting and with friends and there's something really special actually about sharing that experience of tasting a really great product with friends isn't there yeah there is and I think when you look at dark spirits as well because they tend to position themselves to be drunk quite neat through, you know, either deliberately or accidentally or by association. They can be quite hard to access or decode or break down, especially on a palate of someone who's not, you know, been drinking or analysing dark spirits for a long time. So it can be quite challenging. But there's a fantastic mechanic with drinks in particular where you kind of use confirmation bias, where if you give somebody something that's a challenge for them to understand, but then you lead them with cues such as you'll get lots of reason from this because it's a sherry and this is why it's a sherry button, the flavor profiles you get from that. And they find that within the whiskey, it gives them that little insight and that insight is greater than some of its parts. It lights up your whole brain, this confirmation. Like, oh yes, I love it. It's fantastic. And that mechanic works particularly well with gin because with gin being a bit, botanical spirit often it's got a hero botanical and that hero botanical can be easily communicated through the garnish in a gin and tonic say so if it screams cucumber and there's cucumber in the drink and you taste cucumber you get this confirmation bias because oh it's a cucumbery gin this is fantastic and your whole brain lights up which is an interesting mechanic if you really think about it because what it relies upon is communication in the first instance and education and that little hook which again implies like a social setting so if we were to sit down and we sit down with Becky and she knows far more about whiskies than us and we're like oh god what are we thinking about this yeah. but she goes oh don't you get the 
X because of the way this has been aged and we do, we will feel like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yes, I do. This is amazing. And there's so much more value in that drinking experience. It's the power of suggestion. And if, if you're yeah. enjoying it with other people in the room who, you know, we're all bouncing flavour and tasting notes around. And I don't know about you guys, but whenever I do a, a tasting with anyone, if I'm being led in a tasting or if I'm leading one, I'm always trying to remind people that taste is subjective. What we're tasting in a glass of, I'm going to use whiskey for the sake of continuity, Nate, but whatever I taste in a glass of whiskey might be completely different to you guys. I'm like, oh yeah, do you know what? This reminds me of that strange black tea that I had at the foothills of the Himalayas. It only grows uh, once a year and I had the 2015 vintage. That's what this reminds me of. Have you tried that tea before? Probably not. So you're not going to get that note. So it's all based on our own experiences, isn't it? Our own perception of flavour. But if I'm getting honey and you hadn't even thought about it, but if I mention honey, oh yes, of course, that's what that note is. And there's something more inclusive and special about sharing an experience like that with other people. There is, and it's undeniable. And yet it's not translated into like a mainstream occasion. People don't go out and sit around as a group of mainstream drinkers and get around of a particular brown spirit and go, ooh, doesn't this taste a bit like dairy milk fruit and nut? They don't do that, do they? Which no, is, which is but odd. It's, it's interesting because we'll go out and we'll order a bottle of wine to share amongst us now we can't just go out and order a bottle of whiskey that's a lot of whiskey to get through but we we can order the same dram and enjoy that and there's something in experiencing the same product as a group isn't there yeah and having a conversation and making it accessible for your friends who might not be as experienced and having that open conversation is a great way to get dark spirits to people that don't necessarily understand it it's about that education and having that open conversation essentially I do find when I make a suggestion of a cocktail to somebody who doesn't know so much about cocktails, they really do enjoy that, having that personal recommendation. And I think sometimes, you know, if you are the whiskey lover or the cocktail lover in your group of friends, to be able to take everybody out and make personal recommendations off a menu, like, oh, I don't know what to have. Well, you in particular love pineapple flavours. You love nice long drinks, like a refreshing drink. I'm going to recommend this highball, perhaps made with London essence roasted pineapple <laughs> flavour. <laughs> and it's, it's a nice way of bringing people together, isn't it? I think as a, from a bartender perspective as well, there's a magic in that. We have a couple of sayings that we employ in our bars. And one of them is you don't go to the bar that you know best. You go to the bar that knows you best. And the idea then if you come in and we go, oh, Becky's here. We've got this whiskey under the shelf that, you know, we're not supposed to have. Here, try this. You'd be like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And it makes you feel seen and it makes yeah. you feel welcome and known. That's the same sort of mechanics as what we're talking about, where you can use not just dark spirits, but yes, dark experts as the vehicle for that idea of allowing people to feel part of something or inside a joke or inside a bit of knowledge or insightful it's a tribal thing it's a communal thing i think it's really powerful and for me that's where highballs come in because they provide the vehicle for that they work they do we all agreed that dark spirits really do play a role in social occasions it's just breaking free of this stigma that dark spirits only really occupy a time and a place and usually that's in the depths of winter in the colder months how do we break free of considering it as something to only enjoy at one period of year and break it out into uh, something you can enjoy all year round. The highball serve is perfectly positioned for that, not just in space, but like in time as well. Right now is the perfect time to be doing that. I think we've had social media around for long enough to allow brands to connect directly with consumers. The old school way would have been educating bar teams and bar teams, therefore educating guests. And now we can skip bar teams 
for better or for worse and directly engage with consumers and give them the insights if you're uh, McAllen and you want to just scream about your flavor profile so as when guests do actually enjoy it and they hit the same notes then it's magical but if you want to drink something outside of just neat spirits in a glass the highballs work perfectly well i couldn't have done soda and friends as a highball bar without brands like london essence because six or seven years ago if i went to do it i wouldn't have had the breadth of flavor or sweetness that is in today's mixers i'd have had some great stuff from fever tree and a few other brands but now that i can have we've mentioned before the white peach and jasmine i mean it just it's delightful it's it's guests love it like everything in the in the range and other other brands as well because i should mention those but it's so easy for me now to pick up a spirit and find the flavor profiles within and extrapolate and highlight those flavors with complementary or contrasting flavored sodas or tonics or mixers or seltzers that the cocktail becomes exceptionally easy once you have a bit of an insight into the products and a bit of product knowledge so it's a really exciting time for it i'd argue that we'll be pretty close to it in the next couple of years to mm. seeing people moving away from dark spirits on winter nights and into highballs and juleps and longer cocktails with darker spirits no i agree i think mixes is a great way to lengthen dark spirits and bring it into that summer occasion i know we've talked about white peach and and, and whiskey but we've also got a uh, pink grapefruit um Nothing beats on the summer day uh, a Paloma, and that uses tequila. It's one of my favourite drinks, actually. And um, we've got our roasted pineapple as well. And that's a really, really great way to bring dark spirits into that summer setting is, is lengthening it with, with with our range of mixes. And we do have quite a few mixes out there. So something for everyone, and our mixes are great in terms of they mix with any spirit. And, you know, the Mai Tai, for example, delicious drink, and it's got rum in it. Um, again, another great summer cocktail. It's the spirit that you would typically associate with summer. I think rum definitely I would associate with summer hot days on the beach pina colada especially when it has a little cocktail umbrella that's when it gets me really excited <laughs> you know pina colada is one of my absolute favorite cocktails and that reminds me quintessentially of summer um, so many dark spurt cocktails out there you know the sidecar is another great summer cocktail orange citrus and triple sec and cognac in there but it's such a delightful refreshing serve This is an excellent point from Kirsten. Although in the UK, we have traditionally seen rum, cognac and whiskey as winter drinks. These are actually global spirits. And as mentioned earlier in the podcast, warmer environments are actually perfect for enjoying them. In fact, thinking about it, many of the world's classic dark spirit cocktails are made to enjoy during the summer months. Cocktails like the mint julep, the sidecar and the Mai Tai and of course my all-time favourite, the pina colada. This is just a quick reminder, you're listening to the Stillhouse podcast, made in partnership with Edrington UK and me, Becky Paskin. Coming up on the podcast, we discuss how you can recreate the experience of being in a bar at home by throwing a flavour-packed cocktail party. Plus, we give our recommendations for a signature sharing cocktail that can be enjoyed in the summer months. But first, I wanted to find out if dark spirits really are seen as a drink solely reserved for special occasions. And if so... Why? Take a listen. I think especially with the more kind of expensive dark spurts, yes. When we see dark spurts promoted, it's usually towards Christmas time. And that's when we associate a special occasion. We see whiskies or scotches being paired with. You can buy, buy this 
whiskey, you can get some chocolate with it for like a Christmas bundle. And that's what we associate with dark spirits, essentially. We associate it to, oh, you only have this in special holidays, or you buy a bottle of cognac for, you have it over Christmas, or you put it over a pudding or something. That's what I kind of see why dark spirits would be considered to be for special occasions. Mm. It's very giftable around Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very, very giftable thing to give as a, as a nice bottle of scotch. Do you think then that that influences people to maybe not open the bottle and mix it because they assume that it's for that special occasion because it's gifted as a treat? It's something they maybe should, you know, let's go and have some gin or some vodka because in their mind it's arguably more affordable. Not always, but arguably. With that, it's the lighter spirits are seen as more accessible and stuff that you would have on an everyday kind of occasion whereas dark spirits is that have it on your shelf and you'd reach for it like on a special moment and that's when people would associate having that dark spirit dark spirits usually are the ones that sit on the back of the shelves and you pull out when a when a guest comes over you want to impress someone essentially and that can tie in with that kind of mentality Mm. and even if you were to pull out that bottle off the shelf and you have a guest over you want to impress them why are we just serving it neat why don't we make a nice refreshing drink with that i mean a lot of the dark spirits they try and position themselves as aspirational and a lot of that's through their the value of their history or their their complexity or you know their dark rich i mean these complex a lot i suppose and by adding soda water to it or making it a bit fresher and easier you're almost undermining that value point so it's a little bit counterintuitive although really what it's allowing you to do is actually appreciate and understand that complexity coming back to this perception of dark spirits being for that special occasion because we consider them as being a bit more expensive a bit of a treat so we're not going to mix them we're not going to make highballs with our dark spirits because we need to save them and savor them as well i think it can also be quite intimidating for some people especially when they have like if they get gifted a nice bottle of whiskey or a nice bottle of rum i think it's also that intimidation factor you know exactly what to do when it comes to gin i'll grab some tonic i'll grab some lime and i'll make a gin and tonic i think with especially with dark spirits it's, it's also a very it can be a very intimidating category for some people mm. they will look at a bottle and go what on earth do i do with this i drink gin and tonics when i go out what do i do and i, I guess that's kind of why people would steer away from dark spirits is they have absolutely no idea what to do with it so they just kind of leave it and have it for a sipping occasion instead because that's what they understand what to do with it mm. isn't that really interesting though because the answer is easy you just add soda water like you add tonic you treat it just like a gin and tonic yeah. and yet you're absolutely right i'd say if i give someone in my family a bottle of dark spirits like that they'd think it demands respect yeah. they wouldn't dare mix with it they'd even think twice about adding ice to it which yeah. is madness for me all of that ties back into all of these outdated rules around how they should and shouldn't be consumed people are scared to do the wrong thing out of fear of being judged yeah people think it's a taboo to mix scotch and cocktails like heaven forbid you mix a scotch and a cocktail They're like what are, you, what are you doing you're disrespecting the history and the people that have made it you're enjoying it more by having it in a delicious cocktail you can have all these different layers of flavour which is just making the spirit itself so much more complex but that people when they see a scotch or whiskey on shelf it's a little bit more expensive they, they think it's a little bit taboo to mix it with anything so they just want to keep it neat and I guess pure in a sense and yet they wouldn't think twice about mixing a rum would they no no odd it's all about culture and heritage it is. isn't it yeah yeah. But I suppose yeah. then from our angle, the best we can do is give people the tools to be confident enough to mix with it. So be that the product or the knowledge or the education, that's as much as we can do, I guess. And it only takes one person in a friendship group to, to break down that barrier, to introduce to uh, everybody else, 
here's a whiskey highball or here's a mint julep. Enjoy. Oh, it's made with whiskey. I've actually made this one with single malt scotch and <laughs> and you're changing minds and you're educating and it's all it takes is just that one little introduction or even just ordering a drink at the bar to influence others. You know that, oh, what have you got there? Can I try some? And the next round, your best mate's ordering it as well. What do you think, Kirsten? Have we become a bit more confident nowadays to try new things, try mixing drinks, try ordering a new cocktail in a bar? I'm seeing a lot more now people going out and being a bit more adventurous, choosing different cocktails and menu. We see a lot at London Essence actually is that we are seeing a lot of our people that attend our events being a little bit more adventurous and that's why people are more willing to experiment is because they have access to all these amazing bars, especially in London. We've got so many wonderful places that you can try a wonderful cocktail in. So when people see other drinks going out and they see that it looks beautiful, that can kind of influence people as well. So I definitely think people are getting more and more adventurous with their drinks choices. Mm. How can we translate that experience of uh, being out in a bar and exploring new flavours? Maybe it's through new bottles that we've seen or new cocktails and we're out with friends. How can we make that a at-home experience? How do we do that at home? Is like maybe through like, I don't know, a cocktail party or something like that? I think it'd be great to get some friends at your house. Everyone bring a spirit they all like and we will share kind of their experiences, what their what flavour preferences they prefer and make a drink for each other. That could be quite a fun idea. And if you're not a fan of, say, rum or you're not a fan of, say, scotch, you can bring a bottle and tell your friends, oh, this is the stuff that I like. Why don't you give it a go with this and show them how you drink it at home? And maybe that can help influence them and open them up to a new drink idea. I'd love to encourage folks to, when they're having friends over for a dinner party or for Sunday lunch or whatever it might be, to shelve the wine for a weekend and try a round of juleps or anything that can be batched beforehand or even pitchers of drinks, you know. Like the julep is such a good shout because it's so group friendly, easy to make. It lends itself well to a lot of different dark spirits. I'd strongly encourage it, especially if you can tie the flavor profiles because we're talking flavor-led drinks into the flavors that are in the food then you, I think it'll open a lot of people's eyes. One of my favourite memories of sharing drinks with people was we were just having a gathering and I just brought a bottle of whiskey along that no one else had ever tried before we opened it and sat around for hours just sharing stories and chatting and enjoying this whiskey. And I got to share that with people. And I think a really lovely way you could also bring that experience to your home as well is what if everybody brought, as you say, a bottle of spirits? You could enjoy that with food or in cocktails, absolutely. But each person takes it in turn to talk about the bottle, why they bought it. And then everyone like shares it and has an experience. And each person's only really invested in one bottle and you get to taste so many different varieties. What would you bring as your bottle? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I'm hoping somebody else will bring a Macallan 18 because that's an all-time favourite. I might bring a Corvoisier. I don't think people have tried enough cognac neat to really understand how it tastes. I'd bring a mezcal, a nice bottle of mezcal. Um, I would have said cognac, to be honest. I, I completely agree. I think with cognac, there's a lot of accessible flavours and, and I think it's a great thing. I think we tend to really associate drinking dark spirits with sitting indoors, usually in the winter months. But even so, we're, we're sat indoors, whether it's inside at a bar or at home. But surely dark spirits can be enjoyed in numerous different settings definitely i mean on the beach mai tai that uses dark rum in there i mean definitely that would be a, a great moment to enjoy a mai tai mojito there's definitely space for dark spirits to be enjoyed outside of that home setting rum in the caribbean that would be 
ideal. Yeah, rum leads the way on that, I suppose, doesn't it? Highballs would make a lot of sense, but again, there's some good canned options on drinking some dark spirits in like a park setting or something. But um, I, I would very, very strongly encourage folks to consider batching drinks and bringing them wherever they might be going, like on the park. Something like a julep. It's easy done. You then just bring it to the park like you would a bottle of wine or anything like that and share it round. I think that would be an absolutely delightful way to spend an afternoon. And in the spirit of, of batching as well, so say you were to go to a picnic we're talking about parks, so picnic in the park or a barbecue, batching up a punch or something with rum. It could be rum-based or even cognac-based or uh, whiskey and cognac. Works really well together. So batching something up in a punch format would be really lovely, for, especially pairing with food. And I think rum and those kinds of sweet flavours work really well with uh, lots of barbecued food, barbecued meats. I'd suggest it might be easier than trying to keep a bottle of wine cold as well. You can yes. Just can buy a bag of ice or something and just have a few tumblers and a few little highballs. That would mm. be lovely. I mean, you can batch these up at home and then pour the mixed cocktail back into the bottle mm -hmm. to take with you. So it's easy to pour. Mm -hmm. I actually do this quite a lot when I go on holiday I'll batch up some cocktail to take before I go I, I made a boulevardier last time I went away and uh, just put it in my hotel minibar fridge so yeah. every day I would have a lovely drink <laughs> that I knew was going to be delicious and it doesn't go off you and know, it doesn't go you know, off. So, no. We've all got a metal bottle. We can just they keep drinks cold. If you're going to take it to the park, you can have that and then have that cold and ready to serve to your friends. So how many times have you gone to a picnic and someone's giving you a beer and it's oh it's a warm beer mm. and it's hot and you know what can beat that? A lovely pre-batch cocktail that's really nice and cool and it comes out of your metal water bottle. It could be a great moment. Everyone would be jealous of that, wouldn't they? If you turn up at the park with a little metal water bottle of some chilled Boulevardier, you're the coolest person yeah. in the park. <laughs> My last question for you both, and this is a question I ask everybody at the end of this podcast, is for a drink recommendation. So what is your signature sharing cocktail? Kirsten, I know you've got a good one here. <laughs> it's the Jungle Bird, the really tropical drink that takes me away to warmer climates. So um, it's... 50 rum, 15 of your lime juice, 5 ml of your sugar syrup, um, and then 15 of any sort of aperitivo liqueur, and then top with your London Essence roasted pineapple soda, serve over ice. Delicious. And that's per person? Per person. So you can have a whole jug of it and just pour it out. And with, pour it out everyone. with friends and um, have the glass ready and just pour it out over ice. Oh, yum. That sounds delicious. I love a jungle bird. Um, I, I would suggest something like a peach julep. There's like a Jerry Thomas sort of julep. It's a classic drink, but it, it, it scales up very well. If I was having folks around, I'd take, you know, an average size pitcher or jug, a pitcher of peach julep, <laughs> and I'd probably put in a, a heavy tablespoon of brown sugar in the bottom i'd put in maybe a handful of mint leaves so that's probably 16 to 18 mint leaves i'd throw in a load of ice and i'd pour in probably half a bottle i'd say of a good bourbon half a bottle of some dark rum and maybe i would say about 50 mils or a couple of egg cups of like a peach liqueur any sort of peach liqueur tends to work quite well just mix it all through with a long handled spoon and you'll just have this lovely bright fresh minty peachy bourbony rich cocktail and just to serve it and pour it into people's tumblers keep topping it up it just shares so well delicious that sounds amazing mm. Mm, nice. <laughs> what about you, Becky? 
Well, one of my favourite things to batch at the moment, uh, and it's kind of an all-time favourite of mine, I really love cherry bakewells. So I would make a cherry bakewell old-fashioned that you can pre-batch, just put in a bottle in the fridge, and then when people come around, you just pour it out over ice, so it's really easy. Per person, the recipe would be 50ml of a scotch whiskey. If it has a red wine finish, that'd be brilliant, but sherry cask would, would do well. 30ml of a cherry brandy, about 10 10 ml of orgia syrup so you get that lovely almond nutty kind of flavor in there three dashes of angostura bitters and 10 ml of water so rather than stirring it down over ice if you add the water and then shove that bottle back in the freezer or in the fridge uh, then it's going to chill down nicely and it has the required dilution so you don't need to muck about with it really easy really simple when your friends come around pour it out one glass per person over ice maybe a twist of an orange on the top Ooh. perfect top of the cherry top of the nice cherry as well Sounds delicious. Should bottle that and sell it. Nate and Kirsten, thank you so much for joining me on the Stillhouse podcast. It's been wonderful to have you. Good stuff. That's the end of the show for today. There's a sense that dark spirits have been kind of put on a pedestal. I think sometimes we respect them so much that we can be too intimidated to enjoy them in different ways or in an environment that's not stereotypically appropriate. But as Nate and Kirsten said, we're already becoming more adventurous with our drinks choices and exploring new ways to enjoy dark spirits during the summer months. The wonderful thing is there are no rules. So experiment with your dark spirits, mix them, lengthen them, cool them and enjoy them. Whether that's on your own or with friends, at the beach or by the fireside, dark spirits are a perfect option all year round. Thanks to Kirsten Jaron and Nate Brown for coming on the show. You can find out more about Nate's bar, Soda and Friends, by visiting their website at sodaandfriends.com and you can follow London Essence on Instagram at London Essence Co. Thank you all for joining me in the still house today. Thank you for joining us in the still house today. Join us next week when I'll be joined by Andrea Montague of Edrington UK and spirits educator Hannah Lanfear to discuss the all-important first taste. I'll ask my guests why some people could have bad first experiences with dark spirits and we'll also look at how dark spirit lovers can share their passion with friends in the best way. It's a fantastic episode, so make sure you don't miss it. Just a few quick notes before we go. Make sure to follow the show so you get automatically notified about new episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the show on Instagram at The Stillhouse Podcast. If you would like to learn more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at Becky Paskin or at Our Whiskey. Data and knowledge shared in this podcast is built on insight from Edrington UK's 2025 Category Vision, a framework based on exclusive consumer research brought to you by the UK's leading dark spirits experts. This podcast is produced by Edrington UK in partnership with One Fine Play. The Edrington UK team has been led by Fiona Older with a project team of Catherine Barossa, DK Chung and Becca Flynn. From One Fine Play, James Bishop is the executive producer. Kajra Ferozia is the editor and producer. Connor Foley is the producer and researcher. Selena Christofides is the graphic designer. I've been your host, Becky Paskin, and this has been The Stillhouse Podcast. For more information on responsible drinking, please visit drinkaware.co.uk. Mm-hmm.